Hi, I'm Kristen Trafford-Weisel, Case Manager at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, we are focusing on something that can plague all practitioners from time to time, difficult conversations in difficult situations. I'm quite interested to see where you're going to go with this, Annaline, as I can think of some really difficult conversations that I've had in practice over the years, and not just with patients. Thanks, Kristen. And I think therein lies the point. We don't just have difficult conversations with patients, but also with their partners or parents and carers and with our colleagues and staff too. I really wanted to consider today what makes a conversation difficult and what steps we can take to prepare ourselves. What does make a conversation difficult? Well, there's a number of factors, Kristen, that can influence the difficulty of a conversation. It's important to note that as with many things in life, what may be difficult for me may not be difficult for you. And also what may be difficult for me one day may not be difficult for me on another. One consideration to raise is that it's always going to be difficult to break bad news, even for the most skilled of communicators. And in the practice of dentistry, regretfully, we have to break a lot of bad news to patients. That aside, it would be fair to say that the difficulty of an interaction is the direct result of the interplay between four unique factors. So not just because the patient is difficult then? No, not at all. It's manifestly unfair to label someone a difficult patient or difficult person, and far better to simply acknowledge that this person is difficult for me. Naturally, however, there are patient factors at play in a difficult interaction. Communication can just be difficult, perhaps due to a patient's overarching fear of you and the environment they find themselves in. Perhaps because you're not speaking the same first language, not to mention how excessive techie talk can overlay onto this and hinder rather than help good communication. There can be no doubt that some cultural barriers also exist. And when it comes to having a conversation with a patient, it's always important to take the time to understand any appropriate cultural context as best you can, particularly if the culture is not one you've been exposed to before. Some of the communication issues related to the patient themselves can be due to their inherent personality and we've all experienced the situation where a patient has unrealistic expectations or fixed or rigid views regarding the nature and type of treatment you can provide and what their outcome is going to be for an appointment. This can also be based on their prior experiences with colleagues, some of which may not have been favourable. Other patients can demonstrate this as they have such a strong internal locus of control, they cannot let you advise them, or conversely, such a strong external locus of control that they will refuse to make decisions, attempting to pass all of that responsibility onto you, the clinician. And let us not forget that well-worn stereotype of a personality clash exists for a reason. You won't get on with every person you meet, and some of the people you meet are your patients. So you mentioned four factors. So patients are one. What about the others? Well, in no particular order, Kristen, the next could be described as system factors. It's incredibly challenging to communicate well in an unruly or disruptive environment, whereby we're suffering with constant interruptions, particularly if we are in a bad news breaking situation. Lack of privacy can impact on the quality of a conversation with a patient. 
Think about how hard it is to talk to someone when you can't show them the intraoral images you really want and need to because your computer's on the blink and you're trying to reboot it. Whilst maintaining a constant explanatory stream, it's not easy and it's certainly not efficient or effective. Distraction, whether yours or on the part of the patient, will lead to ineffective communication. Have you ever tried to talk to a patient who's glued to their phone? It is impossible. Sadly, many practitioners have described to us circumstances where they're under the scrutiny of a third party, such as their employer, who does not approve of trivialities such as talking with patients and will clock watch and pester them if they are perceived as talking too much. This type of nonsense often plagues our most conscientious practitioners and can lead to moral injury, which we will discuss in a separate podcast. This leads me on to the third factor, which is our dental team. A great team around us can make our job smooth and be such an advantage when it comes to communicating well and offering good quality care. Conversely then, a poorly functioning toxic team will leach into every interaction you have and impact on your communication style and ability. Patients pick up on this and it can impact on how they feel about you and your treatment. Finally, the fourth factor that influences your communication is you. We don't exist in a vacuum and try as we might to keep our private and work lives separate, the boundaries will from time to time lose distinction. Dealing with patients when you're dealing with personal stress is a challenge and there can be no doubt that a stressed out and burnt out practitioners do not communicate as well as they do when they're on an even keel. This means they receive more complaints at a time in their lives when they least need it. And it doesn't even need to be a big influencing factor to negatively impact on communication style. Getting caught in traffic and arriving to work late and grumpy can be a recipe for a difficult day peppered with terse patient interactions. So patient, system, team and me factors. I'm guessing that we can take steps to positively influence each of these. Absolutely we can. And those steps feature in other Risk Bites episodes. Today I wanted to consider the interactions themselves and any planning or preparation we can take to make this go more smoothly. Can you expand on this further? Essentially there are two types of difficult interactions, ones that you knew were going to happen and ones that came out of the blue. We'd call these planned and unplanned difficult interactions. Planned interactions are always preferable as you know they're going to happen. You know that that patient's on their way in after your filling because they can feel pain so you can prepare yourself and your environment for that. Another good example is having to tell a colleague that you've seen one of their patients and there are problems with the care that they provided. A horrible discussion to have so one we'd plan if we can. By plan do you mean practice what you're going to say? Sometimes yes. It can be incredibly helpful to have some idea of the words you're going to use, or in the case of a patient, the solutions you intend to offer them. We definitely can and should choose our words wisely. There are other elements that would not necessarily be obvious at first blush, for example, choosing your venue and your audience. By this I mean, do you want to have a heated discussion with a patient in the waiting room in front of all the other patients who are scheduled that day? Do you think it's going to help? Or do you think it's going to serve to escalate the situation further? Certainly experience shows us that it can act to make things worse. It's far better to find a private space for the conversation, away from prying eyes and one where the patient can feel comfortable. Remember, many patients are scared of the dental surgery environment. Do you have an office space you can talk with them in instead? If you do, the interaction will likely go a lot better. The audience can be a critical component. With a patient, it's best to be chaperoned, if at all possible, preferably by a calm and sensible staff member who's not going to be more of a distraction than a support to you. 
But what about a discussion with a colleague? Simply put, take this away from all the staff if you can, maybe even away from the practice, as you don't want your colleague to feel that everyone's been talking about them or poking fun at them behind their back. That would be an awful way to make someone feel. And respectfully, it's not going to help you achieve your desired outcome of setting out your concerns for your colleague in a way that they listen to and respond to meaningfully. You also need to choose whether to respond rather than react. Difficult conversations are stressful and stress can limbically hijack us and cause us to lose high function thinking. Loss of this occurs as the switch has been flipped on our sympathetic nervous system and as adrenaline and cortisol start coursing through our systems and we are now in a full fight or flight reaction. While it's possible to have a meaningful conversation under these conditions, it's a lot harder than it is when we are cool and calm and collected. Choosing to respond and squashing that fight or flight reaction will invariably lead to a smoother outcome to the conversation. I am guessing then that an unplanned reaction is, well, unplanned? It is, and therein lies the challenge as you lose control of some aspects of this interaction. It may be that you walk straight into an angry patient at reception and they've built up a head of steam and they don't care who sees and hears. You've lost control of this situation, so it's critically important you do not lose control of yourself. That limbic hijacking needs to be kept in check as far as possible so our fight and flight reaction can be managed. Do not underestimate the value of a few deep breaths here to help you stay calm and keep your head clear. Bear in mind your audience is judging you and your professionalism based on how you handle this interaction. And also bear in mind that in this day and age, it's likely you are being illicitly filmed on someone's phone. While this is a breach of the legislation across most of the states and territories, it's hard to take that video back when you've become the latest YouTube sensation or been turned into a meme, not something that any of us would want or hope for. Other than going viral for all the wrong reasons, are there any other consequences of difficult interactions we ought to be mindful of? Yes, and again, these fall into two broad categories, professional and personal. The professional consequences of difficult interactions, as we have touched on, can be complaints. And while many of these complaints will be low-level ones made at practice, some will be escalated to the regulator. The Code of Conduct is the overarching guidance framework that sets out how we're expected to behave, and the regulator takes a dim view of those who do not communicate respectfully with their patients. Also of concern are how difficult interactions make us feel, and simply put, when things don't go well, we feel bad bad about ourselves and sometimes bad about the situation and or the patient. Needless to say, the consequences of these difficult interactions can be cumulative and a snowball effect can occur where we're so disenchanted, it becomes almost impossible to have healthy interactions with patients and colleagues. And this can seep into our personal life too. In all, it's far better to try and preempt difficult conversations in difficult situations and manage them and ourselves as best as we can. Thank you, Annalene, for that relevant and helpful content. And thank you for listening. We hope that this podcast was helpful to you and look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like dental protection podcasts and would like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.